thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. A lot of the flying, 90% of it was realistic. Every single thing I saw was something I've done in that jet. What's the most G's you've ever pulled? It said 11. Hey everyone, Vincent Aiello here, founder and host of the Fighter Pilot Podcast. And I am excited because today is May 27th, 2022, and we finally get to see Top Gun Maverick after years of waiting, including some delays. Now, courtesy of our amazing sponsors, the Cubic Corporation, we have an entire theater reserved right here in San Diego for a private screening of Top Gun Maverick for Fighter Pilot Podcast family and friends. And immediately after the screening, we are going to have a panel where we will record the reactions of some former Top Gun instructors. Let's meet them. First up is Andy Mariner, call sign Grand. He was our guest on episode seven called Top Gun versus Top Gun, which you came back and we revisited that recently. And he was also a Top Gun commanding officer in 2017. Grand, before that, you were a fleet squadron CO of Super Hornets. And according to the trailer, it looks like Super Hornets really feature heavily in this film. What do you hope to see about the mighty F-18 ENF? No, I think it'll just be cool to see it showcased in its own uh, Hollywood documentary, if you will. Uh, you know, it's, it's the backbone of the fleet right now, and it's the thing that we fly every day. Uh, so I think it'll be cool to see it showcased as something in a, in a major Hollywood blockbuster uh, and to see what they did with it in the film. Oh, yeah. You have not seen the movie. I have not seen okay, the movie. Okay, so no. that'll be fun. I have seen it. Uh, but at any rate, now when the first movie came out, I'm going to guess you were about five years old. I was uh, actually eight when eight, the first one right. came out. And so obviously that show cast an enormous shadow, big influence all around. From what you've seen of the trailers, you think this movie is going to bust out of those shadows? I, I think from everything I've seen, I think it will. I've heard uh, good things about it, and I look forward to seeing it tonight. Okay, fantastic. Well, we'll see you inside, Grant. Definitely. Thanks very much. Next up is our friend Dave Burke, call sign Chip. He was our guest on episode 59, Anglico. Now, Chip, when you were a Top Gun instructor from 2002 to 2005, we had some overlap, you were the surface-to-air threat and counter-tactics SME. Again, looking at the trailers, it looks like there are some surface-to-air missiles. How big a deal are SAMs in real life? They're a big deal, man. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm glad the trailer showed that we might see some in action. And I think every fighter pilot knows one of the biggest threats out there is what's coming from the ground, so I'm glad they're going to showcase it. Yeah, we'll see. Have you seen the movie? I have not. Okay, all right. So the other thing is, since you left the Marine Corps, you work with an organization that uh, does different things with different companies. I assume some of that is dealing with people issues, if you will. Now, one thing I do here on the show is I try to break down stereotypes that Hollywood casts on fighter pilots. So I'm curious, what you've seen in the trailers, do you think this movie's going to help or hinder my efforts? I think it's going to show some reality. 
And uh, the cool thing about what I think what you're alluding to is maybe a little bit of ego involved in some of those fighter pilots, which can be a good and a bad thing. And I bet you the movie showcases both sides of that. And look, the reality is Jello is everybody's got one, and sometimes they come out a little bit more uh, in certain environments than others. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the movie portrays it. Fantastic, Chip. All right, well, get on inside there with your lovely bride, Whitney, and uh, we'll see you after the movie. Now, our last guest is our most recent guest on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, episode 143. Just dropped like Just dropped this two week. days ago, yeah. right? And so, uh, Jim Ray, call sign Jambo. And when you were on the Top Gun staff, 1983 to 1986, 86. Paramount came along and said, hey, we would like to film this movie. And you had a hand in that. And that movie really cast the Tomcat as this amazing sex appeal fighter. And I'm just curious, you flew the F-14. Was it as much fun to fly as it looked like on the big screen? Um, well, at the risk of being politically incorrect, we used to say it dances pretty good for a fat girl. Um, <laughs> All right. I know this may be cut, but I, uh, as no. As long as you don't say a name, I think we're okay. Yeah, no, look, the airplane is, uh, for, for its time, it was big, it was new, it was flashy. And it was a lot of a lot of fun to fly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so when's the last time you flew an F-14? Oh man, we're going back. Uh, Nineteen, probably nineteen ninety-three. Okay. So yeah. it, the point is, it's been a long time. Been a long time. Now we, the United States, retired the F-14 about a dozen years ago, maybe a little more. But in the trailer, we see an F-14 flying, which there is one country left in the world flying the F-14. But I'm just curious, without you know, I'm just guessing here. If you were to jump back in an F-14 today, do you think you could start it up and uh, take off? Half blind, one arm behind my back, absolutely. No <laughs> doubt about it. What else would you expect? Uh, of of course. course, yes, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right, Jambo. Yeah. Well, I know you're excited to see this film. I am too. We're going to get on in there and take a look. Now, if you are watching with us and you've not yet seen the movie, don't worry. We'll warn you before we have any spoilers. But let's get on in there, and then we'll see what Grand, Chip, and Jambo have to say after the movie. All right, we're back. What did you guys think? All right. Fantastic. Well, some of them evidently have seen the movie more than once, a couple, three times for some of you. So, all right. Hopefully it got better every time. Now, for two of you, right, Grand and Chip, first time seeing it. So, here's what I'm going to ask you guys. Right off the cuff, we just got up from watching it. The credits just stopped. Grand, I'm starting with you. Scale of 1 to 10, what's your score and one reason why? And we'll, we'll talk about a few things here, but what do you give it? I'd give it a 9 out of 10, I think. 9 out of 10. I would, and I, I think I like this one because there was an actual mission behind it, right? There, ah. was, there was something to this one. Vice, the first one was just going through the class, right? So I thought it was really good. I, was, I, was, I went in with, uh, I don't know, what's the word? <laughs> low expectations? Yeah, not low <laughs> expectations, but I don't know. How do you top the first one, right? So uh, I thought it was really good. All right. Chip, 1 to 10. It's a 10. Excellent. Do you need a reason for a 10? There's, there's no doubt in my mind that millions of kids right now are going to grow up and want to be fighter pilots, without a doubt. Amen. All right. Mission accomplished. Fantastic. Jambo, here's my question for you. You've seen it already once. This was twice. What's your score now, and did it change? Do you like it more or less? Well, just to be different, i got to do a 9.5. <laughs> Integers only, right? please. And, uh, I, you know, it, the score stayed the same, but it's for a different reason. So I recommend that if you have the chance, you will see it again and see what you think. Okay. 
Well, we all know the sequel had big shoes to fill. Grand, you kind of alluded to that. And so considering what you expected from the first movie and the three trailers and maybe even the Lady Gaga video if you watched it, I'm curious. I mean, did it meet your expectations? I think we kind of already found that out. Chip sounds like uh, it did for you. But Grand, did it? was it what you expected? or? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. And I, I think that what I really liked about this one is a lot of the flying, ninety percent of it was realistic. That's right. It was. It wasn't the crazy stuff from the first one. So, yeah. Uh, I think I appreciate that, and I, I know because I was in Fallon when they were when they were doing the filming, right? To see that they were actually going out and flying every day, so that that the the filming was realistic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jambo, how about you? I mean, we had this stealthy-looking Dark Star thing. We had low-level flying. Uh, we had carrier ops, land ops. Uh, the movie met your expectations. Well, at the risk of having a nerd alert, because we're all aviators here, we're going to look at it with a different filter than the average you know, person who goes into a theater. Right. So from that point of view, I mean, an outstanding home run. And for those of you who didn't know, um, in the first movie, there was no actual flying of the actor's film that made it to the screen. So, I mean, right there, it's just a game changer. Yeah. Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. And as you said on episode 143, it's a movie, not a documentary, right? You might hear that again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So at this point, for those of you watching at home, if you have not yet seen Top Gun Maverick, go see it on the big screen. I think there's even an IMAX option. And so we are going to start talking about the storyline, and there could be some spoilers. So hit pause, save this Fighter Pilot Podcast video on your YouTube channel, and come back and see us as soon as you have watched it. All right, so Grand, we're going to start with you. This movie is based around the notion of a, quote, secret mission, right? Um, so, I, you know, what, what, they, we got the best of the best Top Gun graduates, right? And they're going to, uh, you know, get together, and they're going to learn from the 06. Now, you're an 06, and so two-part questions here. Number one, is that how secret missions work? And number two, are you teaching the young lieutenant Top Gun graduates, or are they teaching you? Well, I mean, on the first question, if I told you, I'd have to kill you, right? So, <laughs> of course. No, but I mean, you, yeah. <laughs> but, but you talk about the secret mission. I, I would say that's probably not how you do it, but I would say that as a, as a CAG, right, I'm going to have the people in mind who are going to go execute the mission, right? But I'm also not going to be the one that goes and teaches them that, right? You know, you know as well as I do how Top Gun works. It's going to be the other lieutenant teaching the lieutenants how to go do that mission. And I would far trust those guys over me going to teach the guys the new tactics than, you know, the old guy going and trying to tell them how to do it. Right. right. And they're all wearing their patches. So they're all recent graduates. Maybe right. they're on their short tour. Maybe they're training officers. Did you ever feel more proficient than you did probably as a, a recent graduate or training officer? No, I, I would argue that's the most proficient you're going to be. Obviously, we all try to be as, as good as we can, but life catches up and all the other things that go along with being, you know, an 05 and an 06 catch up. And you try to you try to stay there, but it's yeah. not going to be as good as the guy who's sitting in Fallon that's teaching at Top Gun. Wait, you mean the higher rank you get, you can't just follow around what's happening to every base and on the ship? Hey, again, right? It's, we're not going to roast the movie, but there were some parts like, oh, look, it's the air boss following them everywhere and the nautic commander. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, you you got to have the antagonist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure. All right, Chip. So you, like most Top Gun instructors, everybody here presumably, taught BFM when you were on the Top Gun staff. And so Rooster and Maverick, when before the, the bro love, 
when they still don't like each other too much, they end up in some sort of spirally thing. And what I want to ask you is, is that a real maneuver? Is it something we should train for? I mean, uh, is it something we want to get into? Uh, what, did you, what did you take from that maneuver? Well, I mean, that maneuver itself it kind of reminded me of it was something we used to call, I assume they still call it a love barrier, where you get across the circle from somebody. And basically, you got two people that are in a really neutral position. Um, you know, it's depicted in a movie slightly differently. It's not a maneuver you'd want to get into, but I found myself many times fighting another guy in an airplane, looking across the circle, thinking, I don't have a single inch on this guy in order to see on me, and we're going to stay in this position all the way down to the deck, and the first one of the deck loses. So it reminded me of many dogfights I've been in. It was, from that standpoint, it was realistic enough for me to remember uh, being in many of Luffberry's in my day with yeah. some really good pilots. So you might not want to get into that position, but once you're in it, the first one who flinches That's is right. kind of giving up the... Uh, and probably not that close canopy to canopy, uh, yeah. normally. <laughs> well, we talked about that, right, on episode 143 there, Jambo. When you guys were filming in the 80s, you had to put things really close in order for the camera to pick everything up. Yeah, and that's one thing that stood out to me about this is that uh, it, to make it look close, you got to be really, really close. So there's tons of stuff in there. I'm sure we'd all agree, especially, you know, fights on. <laughs> up through, no, but again, we're picking the fly shit out of the pepper here, and uh, that's not the point. Yeah, right. Um, but yes, you to cinematically to make it look good, you got to be really close. I thought pepper was made uh, anyway. <laughs> um, well, and so right, we've got uh, folks from the filming that are coming up on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, including Kevin Larosa, the aerial filming coordinator. And so when I had a chance, I said, "Hey, you told me." or Ferg did, uh, all real flying scenes. And he said, yeah, well, we can fly two airplanes and have them break, and then we can have one airplane go up and we'll lay them over each other, and lo and behold, you have a compelling scene. So, all right, cool. Chip, did you buy the storyline's reason for why no F-35? You're the only one up here that has flown the F-35. Uh, I have flown the F-35. Flew the Raptor a bunch of fifth-gen time. I looked at that, and I don't think it had anything to do with the plan. didn't bother me in the least bit. They were just trying to create a storyline to get uh, the, the Navy backbone Super Hornet in there, which was perfectly fine. I got new issues with that. You didn't have any issue with the fact that the F-18 and the F-35 are made by competing mega industry folks, and one got somewhat disparaged. Oh, sorry, this new airplane can't do it, and the other was like the hero? If, if I wanted to be dismissive <laughs> of something that was... Like that, that's probably what I would do, too. I'd make a very small comment and move on. Right. Um, I might have leaned over once or twice and talked about with, with my wife about what I would have done in a Raptor. Um, but using it as a vehicle for the movie, like I said, it's not a documentary. Um, I think they did a pretty good job depicting the reality that a fifth-gen airplane is by far the most dominant machine out there, and you don't want to mess around with them. And we're going to get to that. But let's talk about the low-level tactics. So the fleet already can do this. We teach it at Top Gun. What did you see in the low-level tactics? And uh, But tell me specifically, if we're doing low-level, are LGBs generally going to be used? Well, you're asking some pretty good tactical questions there, um, <laughs> Jello, in terms of like how you'd go through it. Uh, if I was in a Hornet and I was fighting against a, an adversary and a threat scenario that was as um, robust, robust as that was, <laughs> I don't know if I would do something different, to be honest <laughs> with you. So I think they're they trying to create a scenario by which, uh, I think for me the coolest part is they showcased actual things you're doing in a Hornet. Real low-level flying, pops, all things I did throughout my career. The tactical implications or applications may be kind of narrow, but every single thing I saw was something I've done in that jet, which was the coolest part about it. I've done 100-foot ingresses. I've done Hornet high pops. I've done full burner, you know, 7FG climbs, inverted pulls, slewing uh, an, uh, an IR sensor pod in the dive, releasing an LGB, and a high G pull-off and e egressing, uh, and then simulated moving against AMS. And I'm watching that, and I'm like, 
Everything they did, I've done. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. But you didn't need to be a Top Gun graduate to do it. You're Mark One, Mod Zero. I Lieutenant. did all that long before I got to <laughs> Top Gun. And I think the best part of it, and, and, and Grandmate obviously knows this too, is a lot of the guys that did the flying weren't Top Gun bros. They were just fleet average mm -hmm. pilots doing fleet average things, which if you look at it, there's nothing average about it. It's pretty awesome to see your standard Navy J.O. out there just killing it in the airplane and seeing what the airplane can actually do. It was a good time for me to watch. No doubt. So, Grand... At one point in the story, Maverick steals an F-18, essentially, which, right? I mean, again, you've commanded an F-18 squadron. Does he have to get the keys? There's really, like... No, I mean, I guess not. <laughs> okay. You're supposed to tell people it's really difficult. That's why we have great base security, by the way. Uh, but he proves that this run, this mission, is, you know, central to the story, can be done single seat. Now, you've been mainly single seat your whole career, but as a weapon school instructor with me back in the day, and now as an air wing commander, you fly two seat. Why do you think the storyline needed to add a couple two seat Super Hornets here, the F models? Don't we put more people at risk? No, and I, I think that's actually one of the parts I really liked, right? They, they used the F model to, to slew up the FLIR and use the laser to guide the bomb for the single seat guy who's dropping it, which we arguably do that at Fallon all the time, right? If I want to hit something, and I know I want to shock it every time. I'm going to put the guy that can just operate the sensor. To, that's all he's got to do, right? He's not flying the airplane. He's not doing anything else. Just operates the sensor, uh, puts the laser on there, and, and the bomb goes where it's supposed to. And we, we do that tactic all the time. We do, uh, you know, LGBs, and we got to hit a, a hardened target, or we got to hit a wall target. You're going to use that guy to, to put the laser right there. Yeah. I mean, we teach that in Airwing Fallon. But in your squad, your Airwing, right, you have squadrons of single seat and two seat. If I'm in the single-seat squadron, I have to do that by myself, but I have two-seat squadron do the same thing. So Sure. But, yeah. I mean, I think there is, that was one of the applications you can use, but other things we probably didn't see in the movie, right, forward air controllers, right, right? things where i got to manage other airplanes out in the sky. Um, just There's just a lot of other implications of flying two-seat that are useful yeah. uh, that they didn't showcase in the movie. But that one was a really good use of the yeah. two-seat cockpit that they used in this movie. Yeah. Jambo, this uh, Top Gun Maverick, well, this Top Gun, I should say, uh, showcased the E2 a little bit, which we didn't see in the first one. Uh, was that was that part of the uh, storyline in the first place? Do you think with the first Top Gun, it just didn't make it, or were, were you glad to see it in this one? Or no, obviously the E2. I mean, it's an integrated it, it actually. And when the F14 was the premier fleet air defense uh, asset, it was absolutely critical that you had a, a the E2 in yeah. there. So I mean, we like to throw darts at those guys. I mean, it's just part of the deal, but. In all sincerity, um, absolutely. And, and I did like, because it did give some depth. Yeah, they, they may have even had some special operators realistically on the ground to assist with some targeting. Uh, but in this case, didn't work out, you know, so the, at least they had the E2 in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, to paint the big, bigger picture. So yeah. I thought that was good. Yeah, I talked to uh, Ferg, who was the Navy's advisor to Paramount, and they had apparently one of the instructors from Fallon come down to advise on that, and they said, yeah, she does such a great job, just let her do it. And I think it was similar on the uh, uh, Captain Phillips with the uh, corpsman at the very end, remember when uh, they first rescue him. So, yeah, good stuff. All right, so, Grant, coming back to you, uh, part of the storyline here also is, eh, we're just going to pull the wings off these jets, essentially. Now, how common are overstresses, and what does that mean? Like in your squadron, if you had an overstress, is that just like, oh, no big deal, we can 
save it? I mean, at one point, the Airbus like, hey, we may, may never fly this thing again. Well, I mean, that would be a pretty significant But what, the, what they're doing, I think they even showed it, if I'm right. I think I caught it, that they pushed the paddle switch. They did. And, and, and went to over Explain what that is, by the way. So there's a paddle switch on the, on the stick, stick yeah. that will give you full G authority. It'll take the computer out of the loop, and it'll let you pull whatever you need to to save the airplane if you, if you got to do that. Obviously, I don't think for a normal mission. Maybe this one will buy that, right? The Airbus would sign off and say, go for it. But, yeah, I mean, you, you don't generally overstress a Super Hornet. Charlie Hornets, different story. They were fairly easy to overstress. I mean, I, one of my first hops after my five hours in a NATOPS check, I overstressed the Charlie. When you went from a Super Hornet, Super to, Hornet to a Charlie, yeah. right, and had to go, you know, do the Gomenesai, sorry, sorry, <laughs> skipper, uh, to 94 CO when I overstressed his airplane in Fallon. Um, and he said, yeah, I got it. That happens because uh, you had like a 3.5 on gas, and when you do that, you can pull it as hard as you want. It's going to give you whatever you ask for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to require, and Cagmo will like this part sitting out there in the <laughs> audience that we're talking about maintenance finally, but that's going to be the, the maintainers are going to have to go check that airplane out based on what the level of the overstress is. And that could be a full jack job to make sure that that airplane is airworthy again, putting that, up on stands, right, even right. dropping the engines, maybe sure. right? uh, figuring okay. out where it's cracked. And if you did anything to the airframe that it won't fly again. All right. So, yeah. So you flew the F-16. What's the most G's you've ever pulled? I think I got to 9-1 in an F-16. 9-1, okay. Yeah. What about in an F-18? Uh, probably like 8-2, which that was the overstretch, right? Oops. Like when right. you go, oops. <laughs> How about you, Chip? What's the most G's you've ever pulled? Uh, the, the 9G platforms, I flew the Raptor and the F-16. The F-16, I, to my knowledge, you can't actually pull more than 9.1. That's the math. If you, mm -hmm. oh, if you max G and F-16 is 9.1, the Raptor, you will not get past 9, and the machine won't let you do it. Hornet, every good C model pilot in the world knows you can get 8.1 without an overstress. So I flew 8.1 routinely <laughs> on a 7.5 G jet. Okay. And uh, if you were going to overstress an airplane, just make sure you're symmetric and wings level and you're going to be fine. There you go. How about you, Jambo? What was the limit on the Tomcat? Uh, six, eight. Okay. Uh, depending on the fuel altitude and all that stuff. First BFM in the rag. <laughs> oh, no. Slick. You know, no tanks. Um, we've done a bunch of eyeball stuff. About half gas, I'm flying with uh, kind of a madman in the back seat. So we intercept, he turns, we a two-circle fight, so it means he's far away from me. I'm turning the opposite direction. And I'm pulling about six Gs, nose low. I'm plugged into burner, and this thing is just raging. And the guy in the back says, do you see him? And I said, yeah, I see him. He goes, well, shoot him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I reefed it as hard as I could. Next thing I know, I'm kind of. I didn't black out, but it definitely grayed out like you saw in the film. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, okay, cowboy, level wings, take it home. And I go, okay, what's the deal? And he says, look at your G-meter. <laughs> it said 11. Whoa, 11. It said 11. Yikes. I got really, really, really good at doing overstress inspections because I had to do an overstress inspection on every overstress for the next two months. They made you the, the man. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I pulled 8.4 in an F-18 once, and it needed the inspection. And then, yeah, 9 in the F-16 as well. Jambo, sticking with you, the Tomcat's back, the big, mighty fighter. What did you make of the footage? I mean, there's, there's no F-14s flying in the West. Uh, so, you know, they had to make that work. But was it believable? Well, look, I mean, it's not a documentary, right? <laughs> That's right. And I think yeah, it was a great hat tip, um, especially – you know, we've seen a huge resurgence of interest in the whole Top Gun phenomenon around the world. And I've personally come into contact in the last month or two 
Frank and Carrie, we did an event a couple weeks ago. People came from Australia, from France, Germany, just to kind of be a part, to feel like they're a part of it. So I thought it was a brilliant move for them to do it. You know, in terms of the nerd alert, you know, like, whatever, I don't care. (laughs) I thought it was great. It was a a great nod. I mean, it gets, like you were saying, it gets a fifth gen, no. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Maverick, right? It is, that's right. I want to add one thing. Yeah, go. I think something I picked up the second time I saw it that I didn't really so much is that, you know, Baron von Richthofen talked roughly. He, He said it's not the crate, it's the guy that sits in it. So they changed that to box. I didn't really that didn't really ring with me the first time, but to me that's the that's the theme they were trying to get. It's not really the crate; it's the guy that sits in it, and yeah. that was kind of central that I really picked up on this time. I was glad though the Navy movie did say box because I was sitting next to Boat, who I think might be our only Air Force guy here. Maybe there's others, but I saw him squirming, so that was good. <laughs> It was designed to fly fast and at treetop level, carrying 24 nuclear weapons. Today, it bristles with smart bombs and guided missiles. The B-1 bomber, called the bone by those who fly and maintain it, is the most heavily armed bomber ever built. Sleek and powerful, the bone remains a mainstay of American air power 50 years after its first flight. Hey everyone, this is Ken Katz, Call Sign Primetime. And my book, The Supersonic Bone, A Development and Operational History of the B-1 Bomber, tells the true story of this magnificent airplane. In this book, you'll read stories told to me by those who were there and see lots of great photos of the bone. Anyone with an interest in modern military aircraft will enjoy reading The Supersonic Bone. Available through the usual online retailers and aviation booksellers. Pick up your copy today. Sticking with you, though, Jambo, uh, two guys starting hijacking, if you will, an F-14. Uh, is that believable? I mean, maybe you went on the road and, and had to start yourself? Uh, it's Hollywood. It's okay. not a documentary. Well, and again, I'm, it's not a roast either. I just want to know what's uh, believable. How about the, um, the, the ejection seat didn't work? Now, again, I don't know if this is Hollywood or not. Was that ever a thing? I mean, every jet at some points has what we call, what, a red stripe, right, Cagmo? Something comes up. And hey, ground the fleet, we got to fix this thing. In the F 14, was an inoperative ejection seat ever an issue? Uh, no, I mean, I've heard rumors about how they're maintained by that other force that still <laughs> flies them. Um, but you know, this is supposed to be fun, Jello. You made me go back and dig into my natops. <laughs> I, to oh, see. yeah, because I gave you the outline, by the way. So. <laughs> you, I know, but no, because you did ask about what do you do if. Uh-huh. And believe it or not, in our natops manual, <clears throat> pardon me, it's the popcorn. Um, there actually is um, a procedure for bailing out. Wow. Yeah. And in the big bold letter says, warning, this is an extremely hazardous <laughs> maneuver. So right there, <laughs> you know, it's like, nah, you pick the black jelly bean that day, just accept it. Yikes. You know? All right. The, uh, the what was that there, uh, Chip? An SU-57? They didn't really name the country, right? They didn't name the threats? The enemy. The enemy, yeah. But I thought, I mean, it looked good. I did fight an F-22 once. And I wouldn't say it was like a dedicated BFM. I was in Northern Edge in, in, uh, up in Alaska. And I was in a position that was pretty common for, you know, when starting like an offensive perch. But the next thing I know, we're having a neutral pass. And I thought, what just happened? So how believable from your experiences did, was what we saw there? 
And then I want to ask you about the Cobra maneuver thing. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> so I was lucky enough to fly Raptors almost four years flying the F-22 as an exchange with the Air Force, which was an unbelievable thing. The highlight of those four years flying Raptors is I was the first guy to take the Raptor up to Top Gun's grad 1v1. Nice. So I'd been up, obviously, as a bro. I went back, and I, as soon as I started flying F-22s in Nellis, I'm like, my goal is I'm going to get Raptors to Top Gun, which I did, and did the BFM Derby up there, which was a blast. And then we did a ton of dedicated 1v1s at Nellis with the guys out of Lemoore. So I had a blast doing that. Um, you know, I flew Vipers, uh, F-35 is a little bit different, obviously a bunch of different Hornets. Um, a fifth-gen platform is 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 like comedically wildly better than anything flying in the world. And so I thought they did a really good job doing two things. One, having the fourth gen legacy pilots recognize that you just don't want to be in the air if there's a fifth gen platform. And despite the fact that there was some movie part of it, the, 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 the way that they were sort of enamored by the maneuvers of that fifth gen enemy plane is about right. And I've seen it from both ends. Obviously, the Raptor does things that other airplanes just simply don't do. And if you're not careful, you'll just stare at it and wonder what's happening. And you'll blink and you're dead. And that's kind of how it works initially with a fifth gen airframe until you kind of get more used to it. But there's a massive advantage in a Raptor that you don't have in other platforms. And it's cool to see. Is that just flight controls? Is it the airframe itself? Is it the thrust vectoring? Yes, yes, and yes? Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So that being said, we see what looks like a Cobra maneuver. I don't think I ever used that term when you and I were in air wings together. But uh, F-18, is that what, Grand? Just a high angle of attack excursion kind of thing that he's doing there? Or, or is it yeah, Hollywood? A, yeah, I think, well, that's a lot of <laughs> Hollywood for that. Whatever, I mean, yeah, whatever that looked like, that was kind of a crazy maneuver for, yeah. the, for their fifth gen enemy fighter. Yeah. Jambo, what about in the F-14, he does like a split throttle pirouette. That sounded kind of risky, but I never flew the big fighter. Yeah, I don't know whoever the advisor was on that, but that, I mean, if you think about, it, that's like the gutsiest move I ever saw, right? <laughs> Five bucks. I mean, but, but if, I mean, that's something that's unusual that's going to give you some kind of maneuvering that's not by the book. Um, depending on which platform it was, I, honestly, I didn't pay attention. If it was an older F-14, you're going to be a glider because you're going to snuff a, a motor. You'd be snuffing the motor out. Yeah, right? you'd be absolutely. You'd snuff the motor out. The the F-110 engine a lot more stable. Uh, possible. That was, that was the engine on the F-14 B and D. D. Yeah. Or just the D. Yeah, I think at least that. Sorry. Maybe the B plus. Yeah, stump okay. the star. I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Grand on the lighter side. We see some of the shenanigans, if I'm allowed to say that, at uh, officers' clubs, and you and I have spent uh, some time at some. Is uh, is this bell ringing thing? Is that is that a thing ever uh, happened to uh, you? That is 100 percent a thing, and yes, it has happened <laughs> to me. for the exact same thing that it happened to him in the movie. Yeah. What what are some of the offenses that uh, might don't, cause don't, the bell to get rung? Don't wear you? your cover in the bar. So when you walk in the door, no hat on. No hat. Uh, don't put your phone on the bar. Okay. Don't put your hat on the bar. Don't, don't put your. Well, yeah. Don't. Don't have your wife call you while you're at the bar. <laughs> don't roll five naturals when you're playing fight or die. Fight or die. You don't want to okay. do that. Uh, what's, a, what's some other good one? Don't go behind the bar. Sloppy dice. Sloppy dice. Yeah. That'll get you every yeah. time. Uh, there, and, and obviously the house rules depend on where you're at, right? Yeah. So in Lemoore, you can put your phone on the bar. But in Fallon and the I-bar, you can't, right? Is that because nobody just, goes just to the bar in Lemoore? It's, the, it's well, Hey, no, it's actually getting pretty good. Is Don't be mean. I haven't yeah. been there in a while. We go every Wednesday night. <laughs> Come on, it's club night in okay. Lemoore. Yeah. Yeah, but you got different rules at, at different places. Do you happen to remember them? We, we don't know how much Maverick had to pay. Do you remember how much your highest bill was? Oh, I had a good one on an air wing night in Fallon with everybody there, and I think it was about $700 <laughs> for the whole bar. How about you, Chip? Ever had a big ring? 
I've seen the bell rung many times. I was fortunate enough to never violate the rules and have to pay myself. All right. Jambo? Yeah, when I uh, got orders to Top Gun, I walked in the bar and put my cover down. (laughs) Because you were celebrating? Absolutely. I did that when I got promoted from 03 to 04. And that's also a tradition in in a lot of places. When guys get promoted, they'll come in en masse, and it's a party. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I want to ask you this, because I don't want to talk about it, but officers' clubs were a bit different when you walked into the bar. (laughs) All right, moving on. All right, so for, uh, actually for you, Jambo, you had tax ranges back then, right? Guts you smooth again that we saw? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We but actually, yeah, we had radios and TVs. And, uh. <laughs> what, did you use like three-quarter inch tapes as well? That's what we used to use in the Hornet when I first flew the Hornet. Uh, no, the ta- tax range, yeah. Uh, trailer <clears throat> right there outside of Hangar 2 and then over at, uh, at Yuma. Yeah, okay. Time. Yeah. Chip, when you and I were on the, st- uh, on the staff back in the 02-ish range, I left right around then when you got there, uh, the tax range, the instrumented ranges, were a big part of what we did. Now, what we see here is a little bit more like what our friends at Cubic Corporation are working on, this live virtual construct, where we get the highest fidelity training by some of the folks who are actually out on the range. Some are in simulators, and their doppelganger or whatever is out on the range. And then some are just virtual, just, hey, we can program it in. How important is what we saw depicted in Top Gun Maverick for training? Again, they're getting ready for combat, but is that a big part of not just Top Gun, but really fleet exercises? Yeah, it's it's really important. I think there's two very different aspects. Uh, the movie touched on it, and your comments, I think, touch on it, too. One is one of the most important things when you're doing a debrief is to actually know what happened. And without that instrumentation, I'll come back, I'll think I saw one, uh, saw one thing, you know, um, somebody will come back and Grand will say, I saw something else. And we, we might not have the information to be able to get to the debrief we want. So it's really, really important to be able to depict what really happened so I can see, go, oh, what I thought happened was not right. The other thing that's really cool with the modern stuff, and nice plug for Cubic there, Jello, I'm impressed, is um, it's really hard to generate a, an adversary force relevant and robust enough to cause a problem for our current fleet. So you got to put a lot of airplanes in the sky, especially when you're talking fifth gen. A lot of airplanes, a lot of surface air threats, and it's simply not practical to do that. So this live virtual constructive world that we've helped create or they've helped create is what gives pilots now realistic training to face in the real world because to build that in reality right now on a training range is almost impossible. I shouldn't say it's almost, it's impossible. So this LVC world that they're doing is really an awesome thing. It also helps with range constraints because it's just not big enough. And me and my airline capacity, by the way, every time I fly by, I'm like moaning at you guys, like you're making my flight longer and for 200 people behind me. But yeah, this way we can have virtual larger ranges, which is not so easy because the military and the airlines are, uh, are kind of beating each other up a little bit. All right, hey, uh, Jambo. In both movies, we see gatherings, call them briefings, in hangars. <laughs> Was that a thing and they just had to bring it back again? Because I never It's Hollywood, s- not a doctor. Ah, darn I it. Know. It gets old. But no, that's a, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> the reason, no and no, uh, mostly because I love that when the, the very first brief at two hornets go <laughs> by, it's like, what? Um, so just for the noise level alone, uh, on the beach, it's one thing, but on a ship, you know how it is. It's always noisy. Yeah. Number two, when you're looking at these kind of things, there's operational security, right? There's there's some secret squirrel stuff that's going to be talked about, shown, whatever, and th- that's not the environment to do it. So, yeah. no. I, I would argue if you were doing that brief they did in there, it's probably top secret, right? They're probably not sitting <laughs> in the middle of the hangar bay on the, <laughs> on the carrier button, you know. 
the yeah. random plane captain walked by that's taking care of the airplanes in the hangar. <laughs> no, the hangar looked yeah. empty. <laughs> I mean, but how do you make it look cool on the boat right. unless you do it in the hangar uh, bay or on the flight deck? So you, you got to do it course. one of those two places, yeah, right? Of course. Grand, but, but stay with me here for a second because you and I have been in a lot of uh, debriefs, as have the other gentlemen. But sometimes when a flight, a training flight, just goes so badly, you just can't nitnoid every little thing or you'll be there all day. And, you know, Top Gun and the rest of the fleet, we, we tend to do that sometimes. But what did you make of the comment, why are you dead? I thought that was interesting because if everything really did go poorly, you might just want to pick the couple top three things, right? So sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to ask a guy why they're dead. I think that's, no. that's just a play back to the first one, right? Like, what are you going to write in the letter to, you know, yeah. oh, your son's dead, right? I, I, your son's are dead because they were stupid. Right, they were stupid, right? There was some fan service, clearly, in the movie. Sure, and yeah. I got it. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, don't, I don't think you're ever going to focus on that because the point's not to really break a guy down right and make him think about stuff i mean obviously we got to think about that because it's what we do but you're not going to do that every debrief you're going to go all right what, what can i take away from this and what can i learn what's the big thing that i can focus on next time so that i can meet the wickets of what they're saying i got to do to go execute this mission you're yeah. probably not going to focus on the the little bit of macabre of like oh you're going to die because you didn't meet you were off by two seconds right that's probably not where we're going <laughs> jambo ed harris's character admiral kane i want to say he was talking about the you know coming end of manned fighter and you know we hear that in our generation i'm not calling you old but i'm wondering <laughs> when you were flying what was up that, what was that scene <laughs> of the movie made it sound like well somehow you made yourself sound like a dick yeah I, trust me my wife's right over there she can tell you i do that all the time but what i'm wondering is not too well asked so far let me see if i can recover is was that a thing even when you flew the f-14s was it like oh the next jet is going to be unmanned you guys are almost out of a job okay let's do a reset this was 83 84 85 <laughs> okay nobody had a cell phone <laughs> or a personal nobody computer probably had a cell can you imagine life without you didn't have a cell phone? there's probably no one here without one by the way now. that's yeah that's correct we um in admin the big thing was we had a personnel had a computer you know track of flight time and stuff and i remember it's a big deal when they upgraded the memory they doubled it from Ooh. one to two megabytes okay <laughs> so the idea of this independent no the 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 one focus for us that was kind of future looking was the fruit of that's being born right now and what you're talking about and that is it's super maneuverability um because that that was more conceptual um, and we, the, you know, engineers could kind of work that out. With the, the technology for the drone stuff didn't even exist at the time. Nobody could dream about it. So, you know, little uh, nearer horizon. That that's what we were. That was the Star Wars G Wiz stuff at the time. Was the yeah. super maneuverability? Yeah. Chip, you've flown F 16, 18, 22, 35. You stay involved in some of this stuff. What about today? Are we talking about 35s, the last of the manned? Is that uh, Harris right? I would not be surprised if we are one generation away from the last man fighter. If somebody, if it proves the six gen platform is the last man airplane, I'm not predicting it, but if it happens, it won't shock me. Um, things that are happening, even from a sensor fusion standpoint, just I'll speak generically, but things are going on inside the cockpit of a fifth gen machine that are sort of getting to the point where uh, the person up there, I can see how the glide path will be over time. There's a lot of mission sets where that person is not required. Maybe not all of them, uh, but if I was, if I'm lucky to each, you know, reach Jambo's age, I won't be surprised if at that advanced <laughs> age worse. somebody <laughs> says like, "Hey, we just built the last man fighter." So yeah, good luck. 
Chip, I'm going to uh, keep you on the hot seat for a second. Out in front of the, uh, the mural there before we started, I asked you about my help, if you will, with this movie, breaking down stereotypes. Hangman clearly has a very healthy ego in this movie. You also, by the way, have commanded a squadron. Uh, how do you, both of you gentlemen, and now as an air wing too, is that a realistic uh, personality trait these days? And if so, how do you deal with it? Uh, yes. People have massive egos. They don't always depict it. You know, hurting my the, cause here. The, the, the same way here. But there's egos. I mean, the company I work with now, the, the most important attribute in a leader is, is humility. And humility is something you got to teach. Now, does that character sort of reveal it in a way that's really, really overt and obvious? Yes. But ego usually reveals itself in a very subtle way, not by being loud and obnoxious, but by not listening. And something I saw at Top Gun a lot and something I saw throughout my career and the private sector is when your ego gets in the way, you stop listening. Now, sometimes you're just sitting there quiet, but your ego is sort of raging out of control. So he was depicted overtly, but ego is by far the biggest challenge I dealt with with myself and the people around me because if you want to influence them, they got to be willing to listen to you. And if they got a big ego, they're much less likely to listen. So if, 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 you're not, if you don't think you're dealing with ego, you're missing something because everybody's got one and they usually get out of control when you're feeling threatened and that's what they're depicting. Grant, you've been on the staff the most recently. When I was on the staff, we would talk about a prospective uh, bro, if you will, coming to the staff. Bro is just the name for a Top Gun instructor. And invariably, someone would say, he's a great stick, but he has a certain attitude. Versus, eh, he could be improved, but man, he is an awesome dude. Which one of those are you generally going to take when you guys are sitting in those staffing meetings? I'm going to take the awesome dude that I can generally improve, right? Because that's the guy who, who can get along with everybody, right? I mean, and, and it goes to his point, right? The ego that's unchecked. I mean, he's the dude that winds up at the FENAB, right? Like, that's the guy who you can't control because, I mean, I'd argue a little ego is good in our business, right? You, you probably want to think you're good. Confidence for sure. Right, right. Yeah. And, and maybe a little ego thrown in there, right? Because you, you want to be good at your job, right? Like, it doesn't pay to be not good at this job, but I'm gonna I'm 100% gonna take the guy who's who's the life of the ready room, and and can bring everybody around him. And I can I just got to work on his you know stick and rudder skills. Right? Because That's, it's probably easier to work on stick and rudder than it is ego and attitude. I can I can, I can we can teach that guy to fly. Right? We'll get him there. Right? We can, get him we there. Can do they that made it that far. Yeah. Fantastic. Can I add a very poetic description that we use when? But you have to that? rhyme. You can't push a rope and you can't polish a turd. So when you came across a guy like that, and I know somebody's heard that before, that's when you, you just realize yeah. that that's it. Yeah. You, know, you got to cut them all. Fantastic. All right, we have a few minutes left, and if we have any audience questions that, uh, oh, here's one. Hey, what do you know? All right, go ahead, Hillary. What's your question? Um, hi, guys. Hi. Uh, so not that my background is similar at all as far as life and death situations, but having been in a school where it's like the top 1% of the 1%, you know, it's, I've been through that with music. Uh, and I've been through kind of like the weekly, like you kind of feel like it's just anything you do is not good enough. As instructors, are you guys in like taught how to kind of motivate people in like the right way so that they get better, but not so that they're kind of defeated? Is there like a medium that you have to kind of? Oh, I would say there? if I can jump on that and then I'll turn it over to one of you. I, th I think that's really the true mark of a Top Gun instructor is not that you just know your stuff cold, but that you can deliver it and instruct it and make someone better and not just beating them down. But uh, Chipper Grand, what, help me out here. I think, too, what, what I see is the guy who's you, – you become a better instructor by being willing to admit your mistakes, right? Like the – you know, if, if you're the guy who shows that I can, I'm willing to own up to my own mistakes, you, you make the guy that you're teaching 
he, he makes it uh, into a, he or she is a better instructor then because they learn kind of that humility of like, you know, and I, I don't want to say you, you beat a guy down to, to build him up a little bit, but, but sometimes you kind of do, right? Like you, you got to do that a little bit to get the guy. It's like boot camp. Right. A, a little bit to go, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to drag it out. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going through the debrief and, and we're just going to make you better. Right. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. For me, it's interesting to think about. I got to the staff in, in summer of 2002, right after OEF kicked off, and so the entire world had pivoted from a peacetime world to a wartime world. And so uh, the cool part about that is that everybody we're training was going to war. Right after Top Gun, they're going to go back to their fleet squadron, and they're going to go to war. What I learned there is something I, I still think about today is you can be really, really hard on somebody. You can actually be really brutal in, in some of those debrief points. And at Top Gun, you're going to get into the nitty-gritty. If the person you're talking to believes that you care about them if they believe that what you were doing is to help them stay alive help them be successful and help them win and if they believe that you really didn't have to worry too much about how they're going to react because they knew everything you told them was for their benefit so for me the most important thing wasn't necessarily just the quality of my debrief which of course it's critical that you do it well it's for them to realize that everything i was saying was to try to help them get better and if they believe that you could say anything and you didn't really have to worry about how they'd react because they knew it was it was in their best interest and they would usually take it for a good cause and and take advantage of it and, and get better fantastic jimbo you want to add anything real briefly the challenge that i found when there's a guy that was struggling was I took it on myself to try to find another channel to communicate with it. Ah. So that ended up making me a better instructor uh, along the way. Fantastic. All, all right, I think we have another question from the audience. Uh, yeah. uh, who's the best pilot you've ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> Are we in... Uh, <laughs> who's can the best I, pilot? Can I say myself? <laughs> you, you can if you want to be like... Um, why am I... Oh, the right stuff. Speaking of... Great question, by the way. Um, speaking of that, The Right Stuff was the one movie I didn't think this movie, like, kind of borrowed from. But I did see Star Wars, right, with the trench, behind enemy lines with the snow, Firefox. Come on, I know everyone remembers <laughs> Firefox, stealing airplanes. Uh, and then now, uh, The Right Stuff. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. All right, Chip, who's the best pilot you ever saw? I don't know who the best I've ever saw, but the list of people better than me is a really, really long <laughs> list. Uh, so it would be hard to name one. I will, I will say this very quickly. When I got to the staff as an instructor, as a kind of a senior JO, having been uh, to Top Gun as a student, I'd been a full qualified pilot and been to war, I was, I was pretty comfortable with my own skills. And I went out my first B of M flight with a guy named Dan Dixon, who was the skipper at Top Gun at the time, and he... He did things in an airplane that I didn't know you could do. I was an IP at the time, brand new Top Gun instructor, and he's the one that opened my eyes that there was an entire world of, of capability in an airplane that I didn't fully understand. And I'll, I'll remember that flight I did with Dix that was just sort of overwhelmingly lopsided, not just because he was so much better than me, but he made me understood that I didn't realize how much better I could get. And I, I owe a lot to that as early on learning that I had a lot to, and I never got to a point where I thought I knew everything, but Flying against that guy was, was really humbling. Really cool, but really humbling. For sure. All right, you guys, we're just about out of time, and I've got a couple notes here to wrap up. Top Gun Maverick, are you ready? Six crashed planes, five ejections, two stolen jets, only one death, thank goodness, and a tower buzzed, of course. In the middle of all that, of course, is the interpersonal drama with Goose's son and Maverick's old fling, Penny Benjamin. There's humor, drama, romance, sorrow, redemption, grand, and closing. Anything else missing from the movie that uh, you were... Hoping for? No, I, I think you got all. I, I really liked it. I thought it was great. Yeah. I, I think you got all of it. 
Chip? That's a small price to pay for freedom. I love it. I was on board. All right. Jambo? Well, we went head-to-head with Tony Scott over the movie, and he basically said, look, I'm not going to tell you guys how to fly the effing airplane. Don't tell me how to make an effing movie. I'm not going to tell those guys how to make a movie. It was a home run. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you gentlemen for being on the panel today. I want to thank everyone who was here in attendance. I want to thank everyone who might be watching. And I certainly, once again, would like to thank our corporate sponsor, Cubic, for making this possible. For everyone watching, go check out the fighterpilotpodcast.com. You can follow us on your favorite social media channel. And that'll do it from here in San Diego. Good night. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.